Welcome to the Upper Perkiomen Community Church Podcast. Join us on Sundays at 258 Main Street, East Greenville, Pennsylvania. Refreshments at 9 a.m. Worship at 9.30 a.m. Or visit us online at upcconline.org. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy our teaching time with our special guest speaker. Thank you, Luca. Good morning. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. For those of you who may be visiting or are newer with us, uh, we have traveled over the last year and a half as a church family through the narrative of 1 Samuel. Am I hot? I feel loud. There we go. Am I good? All right. Not hot like that, just my mic hot. <laughs> That's very vain to ask that question when you come up. But uh, We've been traveling through, and we are just five weeks away from ending our journey through First Samuel. It's exciting. We plan on ending the last week of July, Lord willing. So today, we're covering two chapters, but have no fear. We're going to move through quickly. And the reason being is they're very similar. Uh, they kind of mirror one another in some of the things that happen. If you don't have a Bible, there's a... Bible right in front of you, and it's page 314. You can find our passage for this morning. Just to kind of bring you into context of where we're at as we enter into this morning's passage, we are like at the pinnacle moment of this narrative story. This is like the, uh, if you've watched any of the Bourne series, this is like the car chase in a Jason Bourne movie at the very end where the, the two main characters are going at it, and you're holding your breath, the music's loud, it's intense. And right here, as we enter into this passage this morning, you have two characters that we've been following with and tracking with coming on a collision course. That's Saul and David. And just to remind you of the history of these two, we've got to go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 10. No need to turn there. But the people of Israel look around, all around them, and say, we want a king like every other nation around us. Yes, we are ruled by God, but God is not enough, is what they were saying. And we want a king, and so God gives them what they want. And Saul is anointed in chapter 10 and verse 1 and becomes their king. Remember where they had to find him when he was anointed as king? Does anybody remember? He was hiding. Great start. Great confidence booster for Israel. Your king, he was a tall, handsome man, but no one could find him. Then just six chapters later, Saul goes off course. God punishes him. It says, you will no longer rule. Your family line will not continue. Jonathan will not become king. And in 1 Samuel 16, we see Samuel now anointing David to take Saul's place. And so that's where we enter this morning at this, at this really huge moment in our story. And in this moment this morning, we're going to see David go through some true spiritual testing. Some true spiritual testing. Now, David will now have to earn the nickname that will live on with his legacy as a man after God's own heart. That's not just given out lightly. You're going to see over the next, these two chapters, and then when we cover uh, 25 next week, that David will earn that title in these next few chapters and events. Just think about that. A man after God's own heart. Could there be any greater compliment given to any one of us, man or woman, in this room than you are a person after God's own heart? Now, there's a lot of compliments we can give one another, isn't there? Hey, looking great today. 
nice new car. Congratulations on graduating. Congrats on the new job. And your kids really have it together. Dads on a Father's Day, what a compliment to say, hey, you're being a great dad. You're doing a good job. But all those compliments pale in comparison to the compliment that is given David here and something that we should all be striving after, that you are a person after God's own heart. And so the transformation of David's heart, and we've watched it. We've watched the good, bad, and the ugly through the last chapters. We've seen him fail. We've seen him succeed. And now we're watching in live time the transformation of David's heart in his actions that we'll see today. And so there's a lot of content, so I'm going to be skipping around. So I just want us to bring us into one focus this morning, one thought that I want to stick with you, and that is this. Transformation comes through testing. Transformation comes through testing. James 1 and 2 and 3 are powerful verses that speak to this in the New Testament. David was ahead of his time. He understood this. When he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the what? Testing. The what? Testing of your faith produces steadfastness or resolve or focus or endurance. So we're going to look at two specific tests that David will face today and his steadfastness and his example is a great case study for us this morning. So I've divided it up. I've named the two tests just to kind of keep them separated because, like I said, there's similarities. Test number one, we're just going to call it the robe. So 1 Samuel 24, hopefully you're there. Let's read verses 1 to 4. Follow with me as I read. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. Stop right there. One of these tests that comes along with this is David's waiting for Saul, and, and Saul has this festering hate. And you see here, undealt with hate will always lead to just an immense amount of consequences. And for Saul, he can't even focus on ruling his king, because if he hears the name David, it'll change everything that he's doing. He's coming off the battlefield, and as he defeats the Philistines, which is what God anointed him to do in the very beginning, he hears that David is at a certain place, and he goes, I must go get him and kill him. You see what hate and bitterness undealt will really do to a person where they, they're so blinded and can't see even God's grace flowing out. And so the wilderness of En Gedi, what is that? Just let me explain real quick. If we were, just take this room over here to the right, all of you, um, you're the Dead Sea, okay? Congratulations. Right here in the middle, if you guys were looking off the ocean right here, this would be a hundreds um, of feet high cliff. Then we would go over the cliff and over here on this side would be a deep ravine with um, a little stream that would be going through the two deep cliffs, and they called it the, anybody have a guess on why they would call it the wild goats caves? There was lots of wild goats, okay? Um, it's not a typical biblical term, but it's, I mean, it's descriptive. Uh, you could go there, and there would be goats that would literally line the caves and be along the side. So that's where David is, and it's a great spot for Saul to pursue him because it's going to put him, literally back him into a corner i.e. a cave. So we continue, verse 3, and he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Stop. Everybody know chuckles, okay? He literally, little biblical point here, people back in the Bible went to the bathroom too, okay? And so the Hebrew uh, euphemism there is he was evacuating the bowels, is literally what it means in Hebrew, he was evacuating the bowels. 
And so he would have gone into the cave for privacy, um, to take care of business, and that's what he was doing, okay? Everybody got chuckled out, we can move along, all right? Goes in to go to the bathroom. Continuing on, verse, now uh, he walks into the cave, relieves himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David rose and stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Stop right there. Wow. David and his men, probably totaling about 300 in number, are being literally pushed into hiding in these caves. And so just imagine 3,000 men coming up this tight ravine, looking for David and his men, and here they are in these deep caves. And just imagine that moment when he sees Saul come through. You don't know who it is exactly, what's going on. Is that? And you start to whisper, is that him? That's got to be Saul. Nobody's that tall. That's Saul. And he walks in, and then he sits right in front of there. And then, in that moment, David has a test. What do I do in this moment? We'll come back to this. In the ancient east, the hem of a robe held special significance. You might remember when Jesus was walking around and the woman touched the hem of his garment, and she was healed. The hem of a garment had significant meaning. That's why the Pharisees would make their hems of their robes very ornate it gave status. And so you can imagine Saul's status. He would have removed his robe to do his business. And there, David sneaks up and cuts a piece off of the robe. It was symbolic of cutting off the king's rule and his authority. So now flip over. Don't worry, we'll come back to that. 1 Samuel 26. Flip over a page. Just going to read verses 7 to 12. And you're going to see similarities here. Here's test number two. The spear. First Samuel 26, and I'll start reading. Follow with me in verse 7. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment with his spear stuck in the ground at his head. And Abner and the army lay around him. Then Abishai said to David, God has given you your enemy into your hand this day. Now please let me pin him to the earth with one stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into the battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I put out my hand against the Lord's anointed, but take now the spear that is at his head in the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear in the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake. For they were asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Different setting, completely different place, but it's the same result. The same result. In that moment, David chooses to spare Saul's life and again keeps his servant, who was just wanted to faithfully do his duty in that testimony and say, I will take his life because he knew David would. And you can see they're kind of going back and forth. Just let me do it. I'll do it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to touch him. David's like, no, no man will do this. Another test. So what is really happening here in these two chapters? David is being directly tested by the Lord. This is an important point here. There's a lot of times that we as Christians look at any trial that comes in our life, and who do we instantly blame it on? Spiritual warfare, Satan's attacking us. But it's important to note that testing and trials sometimes come from the Lord. 
And in this moment, you're going to see it through Scripture and through this story that in this moment, the Lord is directly testing David. And he's asking him this question. He's like, are you, David, are you willing to wait and trust my timing? Are you willing to trust and wait and allow my plan to unfold? For whatever reason, we don't know why. There's no, there's no time that God said, do not kill him if you come across this. But for whatever reason, a lot of it was cultural. Because once the king was anointed, it represented that God had set him apart. And so he had a special plan. He had a special mission, which Saul did. And David didn't want to interfere with that in that moment. So David had a clear conviction that God would take care of Saul and his timing. And he was willing to wait. And these two examples, David passed the test. You see his declaration of trust was another step in his heart transformation. And I think here, David, when we talk about testing, David gives us the right answer for whenever we face various questions and testing that will come along in life. David had a clear conviction at this point. It had taken him a while to get here, but here is what his clear conviction was for David himself. It was, God, your will and your way is better than my will and my way. God, your will. This is always, always, always the right answer when you're wondering what you should say. Do you guys remember true and false on tests? Some of you are students now. Do they still do true and false on, when you're taking tests? Bailey, they do that? Okay, they still do that? That's the worst question because it's like they, they word it to trick you. You know, teachers, they're like evil like this, okay? And uh, they, you never know which answer to take. And so when I would get stuck, I would look at the questions before that and say, she's done three true in a row. That means this one has to be false, right? We do that. But when it comes to a lot of the things we face in life, there is no clear answer except for this right here. This is the answer that we always have to come back to. God, your will and your way are better, way, way better than my will and my way. Now we know, okay, just speaking practically, this is not always easy uh, to get to, but it's one of the ways we must always have is our final answer. Testing takes all forms. In this room alone, there is spiritual testing happening all around. And you know how I know? Because there's people being changed and growing. That's how you can tell that testing is happening, because people are changing. Sometimes for the worse, sometimes for the better, but testing always, always, always changes us. Testing looks different. For David, it was the waiting test. We hate waiting, don't we? Even a pause is awkward. Even pauses in our lives make us uncomfortable. But waiting, waiting is even worse. Drives us nuts. We hate waiting. David would spend 15 years waiting on the run. From the time he was anointed to the time he would become king, 15 years. Think about that. Some of you that are sitting here this morning are in long seasons of waiting. You're waiting for God to answer a prayer that you've cried out over and over again. You're waiting for a relationship to happen that you desire. You're waiting for the salvation of someone you love. You're waiting for the answer to questions that you may never get answered. You're waiting for physical pain to subside. We could probably all take time if we could break out into small groups and identify areas of waiting that we all experience. Waiting is hard. Another form of testing is the wilderness test. Right now, God may have some of you on a wilderness journey. The wilderness isn't fun, is it? When you're just traveling around where he's testing your willingness to truly give you, to give him a certain sin struggle that you're struggling with, to break you of that anger that has consumed you, to show you freedom 
from the bitterness that has consumed you, that you've held on for for too long. Moses was speaking to the Israelites in Deuteronomy, and he says this to them. He goes, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would really obey his commands. A lot of people teach that God doesn't test his children. This contradicts it. James contradicts it. No, God will test you. He tested his people for 40 years in the wilderness until they were willing to really understand and say, yes, Yahweh is God. We will fully submit to his authority, and we will just keep going around in a circle. And some of us are in that waiting, circling in the wilderness. God wants us to get to the point where you say, Lord, I will change because I'm so completely satisfied in you that my struggle no longer satisfies me. And so it's possible that you are in this wilderness journey right now, that you're at the point in your testing where you just aren't able to say, God, your will and your way is better than my will and my way. Maybe you're just not there this morning. So I want to, I we'll talk about that and give you hope this morning. So don't ever think, okay, don't ever think there isn't a purpose behind the tests of your life you face. God is always, always, always trying to transform us into his perfect image. And in our waiting, we often get glimpses of him in ways we wouldn't experience otherwise. Some of you, even in the last few weeks, have experienced intense things, pain, loss. And it's been such a joy for me to hear your attitude in those where you say, you know what, I've been dealing with this intense pain right now, but let me tell you something, Brian, I have experienced God in a way that I would never have otherwise. I love that example for me, because it's like, man, you are going through this difficult test, and what is your focus? Man, I get to see God in a whole new way. Best way to pass a test is to prepare for a test. We just got our college students home. Um, Anybody pull any all-nighters before the final? Yeah, Jay, I know, I see the head nod. Okay, we've all pulled the late night where you're just cramming and preparing for a test. And so I want to just, like, now give kind of an overview of some of the things that we see in these passages that will help us be prepared for the tests that come along in life. And so number one, spiritual tests will come along at unexpected times. David had no idea that he would encounter Saul on that day. There was a chance that he was going to be put to death. They would find him. But in that moment, imagine the hiding. They were hoping that they would just pass by and then leave. And here walks Saul into the cave, and a test comes up like that, where he has to make a decision in a split moment. Imagine the emotion, the adrenaline in that moment, that this is the person that's hunting me, and he's sitting right here with me, and I have an opportunity to take, get rid of all of this and take care of it. Spiritual testing will come at unexpected times. Number two, and this is so important, beware of the shortcut. Beware of the shortcut. What do I mean by that? Why, why do we love shortcuts? Just think about it. And when we usually think of shortcuts, we think of driving, right? Because when we take that shortcut and we come out ahead of another car, okay? Uh, this happens on my way home on Tollgate. I love to see the car in front of me and I try to beat it to 100. And then I just look and I smile. I beat him. Such a great feeling, you know? Because we think we know something that someone else doesn't. Oh, they don't know about the shortcut, Okay? How do they not know about the shortcut? And so we, we, ha- we often love shortcuts. But David in this moment had an opportunity to take a shortcut that would have derailed God's perfect plan for him. Shortcuts are appealing. Even as his men are urging him to take action, 
David actually had to fight off his men in the cave to say, do not touch him, do not touch him. Imagine the intensity of the moment. They're like, he's here, he's here, let's take care of him. This is our moment. And David's like, no, do not touch him, do not touch him. Shortcuts, like they tap into the emotion of a situation so easily. And they were like, yes, I will take that shortcut. I can go this way and everything will be okay. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I want to show you a cool couple verses here. Jesus has just spent 40 days in the wilderness getting ready to launch his three and a half year earthly ministry. And in the wilderness, he's met by Satan himself. And I just want to focus in, there's three episodes here, but I just want to, for sake of time, focus on verses, let's uh, look at verses 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9, again, again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. What was Jesus offered there in that moment? A shortcut. A shortcut to go around the mission that God had sent him to do, which was die on a cross. Jesus knew that all the kingdoms, that every knee would bow at some point, but Jesus was fully tempted as we are tempted. And so in that moment, he experiences temptation to take a shortcut and go around what God's true plan was, and that is to go through these next three and a half years of intense ministry and then die a cruel death on the cross. One of the ways that Christians become overwhelmed and live defeated lives where you just are like, that person is not thriving as a believer, is that they get in their mind that I can just take shortcuts and everything will be okay. And then every time we take a shortcut, what happens? It doesn't remove the issues of life, the challenges of life, the pain of life, the trials of life, the testing of life. Sanctification is messy. Let's just say that together. You ready? Sanctification is messy. It's hard work. It's a lifelong pursuit of becoming like Christ. It's not quick fixes. And we live in a quick fix world. We got concrete that's called quickcrete because it just does things fast, okay? Everything is fast, fast food. And we want these instant quick fixes for everything. But sanctification and living life together and growing together in Christ is messy, hard work. And one of the things that the devil uses to say, ah, just a quick fix. Take a shortcut around God's will here. Just take a straight line and everything will be okay. And we miss the opportunity to experience the transformation that takes place when testing takes place. Number three, God is present in our testing. This is the next test prep. Just know this going into a test that you might be experiencing now or that's coming up. And just know that God is present in your testing. Turn back with me to 1 Samuel 26. just want to look at one verse. 1 Samuel 26. Flip back there if you can. I'm going to read a verse that we already read, and I never caught this before. I've heard this story um, from flannel graphs on up, okay? The story of, man, David, he just, like, he spared Saul's life twice. What a great guy. But you see here something amazing happens um, in this second test that completely is different than the first test. So look at 1 Samuel 26, 12. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head, and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep. 
because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. That last line is what I've always missed. I never knew that God was there as part of the test with David to say, like, I always thought, David is like the super James Bond spy. He snuck into a camp with everyone else around, and he took the spear and jar. Man, that guy's like unbelievable. Well, he was. He was an amazing warrior. However, it was God who said, I'm going to walk into this test with you again, and I'm going to put everyone to sleep so that you can't take any credit for this. It's just, I'm testing you. It's going to be hard. And I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to make my name great. We'll see the, the, the second test. David is actually on the offensive versus the defensive. He's not in a cave. He actually goes to Saul. We can never take credit for the tests that we pass or the victories that we have. We will never be able to take, face the test in life without understanding how God is involved. And this is hard. Because a lot of us think, I, I'm, I just got victory over that test. I did it again. I'm doing it on my own. You're never doing it on your own. Another cool thing that God does, 1 Samuel 24, 5. 1 Samuel 24, 5. Again, I always just pictured, I guess the flannel graphs couldn't show this, but David cuts off the corner of the robe. We see that God, when he walks into trials with you, he convicts you in the moment. He convicts you in the moment. And so David cuts off the robe, and what's it say there happens? It says David's heart did what? Anybody there? It struck him. 1 Samuel 24, 5, and afterward, David's heart struck him. What was that? It was conviction. God convicted him in that moment that, hey, to everyone else around here, it looks like you made the good choice, but guess what, David? I'm about making you make godly choices, and that's what God does when he tests us. He changes, like, hey, we might be doing a good thing, but God's not about us being good people. He's about us being godly and holy people. Be holy for I am holy. So when we walk in a test, know that God's with us, and that he's right there. But here's this beautiful thing about God testing us now in the New Testament as New Testament believers. He has given us the Holy Spirit that convicts us. And he is the one that takes good decisions and turns them into godly decisions. Sometimes we don't even know what decision to make. A lot of decisions are not like, like black and white, are they? There's a lot of tough decisions where you're just like, I don't know what to do. What do I do? I wish I just had a clear answer. But the beautiful part is we make a decision and God says, hey, you can adjust this a little bit here. Do it this way. This is my way. And then another thing that happens when we're tested and God's there with us is it provides confidence. Like I said, test number two, David is on the offensive. Saul comes after him again, gets 3,000 men again. You see the insecurity of Saul in all of this. Saul knows God's plan. He already knows it's been revealed to him that he will, his family will not be on the line, but he still wants to take control. And that's what happens when people that aren't willing to really understand what God's testing looks like, we tend to take control. And when we take control, things get ugly really, really fast. And that happens in Saul's life over and over and over again. But you see here, there's sincere confidence with David. You know, confidence is an interesting thing. Um, if you're a Phillies fan, Friday night, uh, Hector Neris came in. He's the closer right now for the Phillies. And the Phillies had a two-run lead. And uh, those of you who know already know what happened. What happened on Friday night for the Phillies? Blew it. They lost. He came into the game and lost it, and it was a really frustrating loss. I actually heard my neighbor scream through my house walls. He was in his garage. So I was like, what happened? And I turned on my phone, and he, the Phillies had lost. Uh, but here's the cool thing. Last night, what happened? The Phillies score in the top of the ninth. They have a one-run lead. Gabe Kapler, 
manager for the Phillies, without a blink, calls the bullpen and says, bring them back in. Puts them back out there, and he goes through the heart of the Braves order, and he goes one, two, three, out, game over, Phillies win. Do you know how many times, do you know how many times God, by his grace, says, Brian, you blew it. You blew that test. But I want you to get back up there, and I'm right here with you right now, and get out there. I'm here. I'm changing you. I love you. I care for you. And I want you to walk in confidence through these tests. I'm not leaving you alone. So I don't know where you are this morning. Only you can answer that. But I can guarantee one thing. We are all facing tests. They may look different for each of us. But I want to just put this verse up for sake of time. Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. And it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by what? Testing. You may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So why are we being tested? Why do tests come along? Because tests transform us into a better understanding of what the will of God is in our lives. Both of David's tests ended with him standing with confidence. We don't have time to cover, but both of those sections, at the end of both chapter 24 and chapter 26, David walks out out of the cave after Saul. He's still in the ravine. And he goes and he calls out to Saul. He says, God's will be done. May he be the judge between us. And what happens? God convicts Saul in that moment and he walks away and he lets David's men go. He had come to kill him, but because David submitted, David walks out and says, I want to just humbly come before you. I could have killed you and I didn't. And Saul, God moves Saul and he lets him go. The next time, chapter 26, David runs up the hill puts the spear in the ground and says, Saul, look what God did again. He spared your life. I could have taken your life, but I want, to, I want to be loyal to you. I want to submit to God's plan. I want you to submit to God's plan in this moment. This is the last interaction that David and Saul will have. In just a few chapters, uh, Saul and Jonathan are going to be killed on the battlefield. We don't know how much time this was, but there's going to be no more recorded interaction between David and Saul, but David has the opportunity to get up on that hillside and declare that God is in absolute control, that his ways is better than the way that I could have taken. And what an example to Saul and all the men that are watching in that moment to say, wow, David truly, truly, truly trusts in God's sovereign plan. I don't know about you, but I want to be a man like David who's after God's own heart, standing across from whatever test I am facing with confidence, with absolute 100% confidence, knowing that through my testing, however hard it might get, and I know a lot of you, and Father's Day can be a reminder of some of the tests that you're in right now, but whatever test you're facing right now, I want you to know that you can stand on that other hillside with confidence and say, God is in control. David had to keep waiting. It wasn't like everything was fixed. This wasn't a shortcut here. He had to keep waiting, and eventually David would take role and role for 40 years. As you just think about whatever test, I want to just put this quote back up here, because this is always the right answer to whatever test you're facing. God, your will and your way are better, are better, are better, are better than my will and my way, no matter what emotion I'm feeling. The restraint that David had to show 
He was human. To not kill David in that moment. Think about how much easier his life would have been after that. He was already, people would have recognized him as king. David was liked by a lot of the people. They looked up to him. They wanted David to be king. But he said, "Uh uh-uh. I'm stepping away. God's in control. I'll wait. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and the power of it. God, when we think about testing and the tests that you you bring along in our lives, God, um, testing has a negative connotation a lot of times. But God, I pray that you would transform our view of some of the tests that we're going through now and see that, God, as we are tested, we are being transformed by your power. And God, I thank you that as we sit here, if we're a believer in you, God, we have the Holy Spirit helping us navigate some of the challenging tests that come along in this life. God, I pray for endurance, steadfastness for those who are facing uh, those waiting trials, God, where years and years and years of crying out to you, and they feel, God, that you're distant, you're not there, but God, I pray that you would reveal yourself and your plan and bring comfort, God. For those who are in the wilderness, God, who continue to be tested, God, or maybe it's a sin issue that we just are not willing to release, God, and, and you're saying, no, you're not coming to the promised land. I'm making you like myself, God. Continue to break us down of the sin struggles that, that rule every one of our hearts, God, so that we can stop wandering and start moving forward and pursuing you, God, with everything. Lord, I thank you for the examples in your word, God. Most of all, God, I thank you for your grace that is poured out on me, and every other person in this room, God, where you say, hey, I'm going to put you through tests, but I'm right there with you. No one can take you out of my hand. I'm growing you. I'm shaping you, God. So I thank you and ask you to continue to grow us as individuals and as a church in your name. Amen.